This week I was walking into a restaurant here in town and I was going and picking up some food for Sherry and me and taking it home. And as I was standing there waiting for them to bring the food out to me, uh, a lady and her husband, they walked in, a couple walked in and she came over to me. She said, I just want you to know something. This whole Revelation series, and I didn't know what was coming next, but this whole Revelation series, I'm just telling you, it has been so much. Like, my goodness, I've been writing and writing, and I still don't know half of what. And, and I want to encourage her, encourage you, because I know we've covered a lot of things in these last few weeks here at Thomas Road, going back to the beginning of June, is here's the cool thing, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, while it's important for us to know what the book of Revelation says, ultimately, you won't be here to worry about it too much. So if you haven't gotten it all, if you haven't gotten everything, I get it. I understand. The notes are online. You can go back and, and read them. You can go back and watch the sermons. And, and in fact, I, I look at the Bird family over here. It's kind of funny. Every week they come in and they sit at the same place every week. And, and they're always seated right over here. And they always come to the 915 service. And for, uh, for a lot of the weeks during this series, I look back at the 11 o'clock series and they're still sitting there. And they're staying for both services. And I walked back one Sunday. You know this is true. I came back and said, you guys are gluttons for punishment. I have to be here. You don't. And they're sticking around for two because there's so much information. I get it. It's a lot of information. But now we're in the fun part. Now we're moving into the part where it just truly is. Man, what a picture of what God has for us next. But before we jump into Revelation chapter 21, we've been doing this every week. Let's go ahead and put the recap back on the screen and, and let's make sure we kind of walk through a little bit here of where we've been and where we are. And again, pull out your notebooks that you've got there, the, the Bible journals there. And, and so we started back in Revelation chapter one when we had this opportunity of John uh, being given a vision and this vision was given to him, this revelation was given to him by Jesus himself and Jesus gave him a plan. He said, this is what it's going to look like. He moved into chapters two and three and began talking about some specific churches, uh, some churches that were present in that day and some issues that they had, seven different churches, problems that they were walking through and how they needed to change, how they needed to fix those issues, fix those problems. Again, those were real churches that existed 2,000 years ago, but clearly the same challenges, the same problems, the same sins that were present in the church then are present in the church now, and we need to deal with those too. So this book gave us some great statements. We then moved into chapters four through seven, and we began uh, inter being introduced and, and ushered into the throne room of God and seeing that incredible image, that incredible picture, which by the way, that we're gonna have the opportunity of revisiting here today in chapter 21. And we were able then to begin seeing this, this unfolding of what would happen and what must happen in God's ultimate plan. We began talking about the seals of judgment that started. You remember as the horses of the apocalypse showed up and all of those kinds of things. Then we then moved into chapters 8 through 10 and, and started talking about the seven trumpets of judgment. We started talking about the little scroll and, and again, rolling through this time of the seven years of tribulation. We then moved into chapters 11 and 12, introduced to the two witnesses that will proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the beginning of the seven years of tribulation all the way up to the midpoint where they are then assassinated by the Antichrist. Their bodies lie in the streets. We then moved on into chapter 13. We were introduced to the beast of the sea, which is the Antichrist, introduced to the beast of the earth, which is the false prophet. And this is the beginning of uh, where we're introduced to these seven characters of Revelation. We then moved on to chapter 14, 
And in chapter 14, Jesus began putting together that winning team and the rest of those seven characters. They're going to walk us through and usher us through God's ultimate plan. Chapters 15 and 16, the final bowls of judgment. Coming down to the last part of the seven years, the great tribulation, as we walk towards the second coming of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the woman and the beast and the fall of the the great Babylon. We talked about what that looks like and how that is going to unfold. We then began moving through uh, chapters 19 and 20, the second coming of Christ. We talked about the final judgment, and that was actually last week. But we talked about like what that looks like and how Satan is cast into a, a, the lake of fire for a, a thousand years, locked up there. And then at the final thousand, after that thousand year, by the way, I, I do know this. Troy told me to tell you this. Last week he misspoke and he said the million year reign of Christ. So he's actually technically correct because it will be for all of eternity, which includes a million years, but, but he misspoke and he understands that. A thousand year reign of Christ on this earth and after the thousand year reign of Christ, Satan is unleashed for a moment, for a moment, and then forever, for all eternity, Satan is cast into the lake of fire along with all of those who are not written in the book of life and never to be heard from again is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And then God reigns. And that's where we are today in chapter 21. So let's go to that passage. And before we jump into it, before we really kind of walk through verse by verse through this passage, I want to give you this this idea of like what this looks like, of where we are. And in order to do that, what we really kind of have to do is kind uh, kind of bookend the Word of God. And so when you bookend the Word of God, you go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Can somebody just tell me what was missing in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. What was not present in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? Anybody at all, just yell it out. Sin, that's true. I'm talking about a person. Who was not present in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2? Satan. Satan shows up in chapter 3 of Genesis. And that's when he comes in and he, he, he tempts Adam and Eve to sin. And sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. So what was not present in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 was Satan. And because Satan was not there, sin was not there. And because sin was not there, death was not there. Now here we are moving into the last two chapters of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Now... This is an easy quiz. What is not present in Revelation chapter 21 or 22? Satan. What's not present there? Sin, death. It doesn't exist anymore. So you can see that what we're really getting here is we're getting the ultimate delivery of, the ultimate expectation of, and experience of what God intended the world to be when he created the heavens and the earth back in Genesis chapter 1. We now get what God's original intent was all about. And the only way that God's original intent can unfold is if Satan, sin, and death are not present. And that's where we are today. And in fact, I found this really cool graph that I want to put up on the screen. Get your phones out. That I want to put up on the screen. Actually, it's also in your notes online if you're following online as well or in your app. But this picture of the difference between Genesis and Revelation. Now, when we put this word Genesis up there, it's not just the book of Genesis, but it's what started in Genesis all the way through until the time that we get to the end of the thousand year reign and eternity begins. So here we are. We've got this picture. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the heavens and the earth were created. In Revelation chapter 21 and 1, new heaven and new earth is recreated. 
Chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 16, the sun was created, which is really cool. Chapter 21, verse 23, there's no need of the sun, which means there's no need of sunscreen. That's going to be pretty cool. Chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 5, the night established. Chapter, uh, verse 5 of chapter 22, there's no night there. The seas were created in Genesis. In chapter 21 of Revelation, there's no more seas. Here in Genesis, the curse was announced in chapter 3 of Genesis. Here in chapter 22, there are no more curses. Death enters history in chapter 3. Death exits history in chapter 21 of Revelation. In Genesis chapter 3, man was driven from paradise. In Revelation chapter 22, man restored to paradise. Here in Genesis chapter 3, sorrow and pain begin. Here in Genesis, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, sorrow and tears and pain and death, it ends. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the devil appears. In chapter 20 of Revelation, verse 10, we talked about it last week, the devil disappears. So can you see that when that song that we were just singing together, I know how the story ends, that's how the story ends. And it's a good thing. That's where God is taking us. That's God's ultimate plan. Now, when you look at the book of Revelation, Obviously, we've walked through some difficult times in the book of Revelation. We've seen some challenges in the book of Revelation. We've seen some, some issues there. And so when you begin to look at the book of Revelation, I found this great, again, get your phones out. I got this great graph that, that was put together by Chuck Swindoll, and we'll put that on the screen as well uh, next. And here it is. This is kind of a picture, kind of an image of what the book of Revelation really is all about. Now, again, it's in the app. It's in the online notes. You can download it or you can take a picture of it. But as you can see, chapter one talks about like John's introduction into the story of what the revelation is all about. Chapters two and three, the things that are Christ's letter to the seven churches. And then from chapters four through 22, we get Christ as judge. We get the tribulation. We get the coming of Christ. We get the millennium. And then we move into the eternal state. We move into eternity with Christ. You see here all the different ideas that, that Chuck Swindoll did a great job of kind of lining up there. But ultimately what we get to is Christ in Revelation. We come down to the bottom line there that Jesus is the coming King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when we move into Revelation chapter 21, Jesus is no longer judge. Jesus is now King. And that's where we spend eternity. And so with all that in mind, Let's begin talking about what chapter 21 gives to us with a picture of after all the stuff we've dealt with, all the issues we've walked through through the book of Revelation, the, the points of judgment, the tragedies of people lost, the issues of people slaughtered and martyred because of their faith. And now here we are, we get to Revelation chapter 21, verse one, and all of a sudden we see the picture where the current heavens and the earth are destroyed and a new heaven and earth is found. Let's read this together. Verse 1 of chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, when you see this story, that first part of verse one, it says now the new heaven, the, the old heaven and the old earth have passed away and there's now a new heaven and a new earth. So in other words, an entirely new picture is created. 
Mark Hitchcock said it this way. The Greek word for new in Revelation is the word kainos, which denotes something not just new in time, but new qualitatively. Something that is different and superior to the old. It will be a perfect place existing in a perfect environment. And so after we've walked through this thousand year reign of Christ on this earth. Now I want to take a moment and I want to stop here and I want to make it very clear. Because obviously we have lots of conversations and lots of political divides and, and lots of, uh, of division that's in our culture today about climate change and, and global warming. And we have a 17-year-old girl over in, in, in Denmark or Norway or Sweden or wherever she's from saying that if we don't do something now, then in a couple of years the world's not going to exist. I have it on authority from the God of the universe who created all. That this earth, earth will be here for a thousand and seven years at least. According to God's word. Now, does that mean that climate change is not real? Maybe not. I mean, certainly there might be issues where things get warmer or things get colder. It might be that seas rise or seas lower. I don't really know. I am not a scientist. I didn't even pay attention in science class. Forgive me for the science teachers that are here. Like, I have no clue. And yes, we should be good stewards of this earth that God has given to us because God gave it to us. Because you go back to chapter 1 of chapter 2 of Genesis. God told Adam and Eve to take care of his creation. So yes, of course we want to do that. But I'm telling you, it's not going to blow up next week. It's not going to stop because you're spraying hairspray out into the culture. And it's not going to go away because you're driving an SUV. It will not be destroyed because here, the God who made the earth said, Hey, after the thousand years, then, then, then... The old earth has passed away and a new heaven and a new earth shows up. So I just get, that's a freebie, has nothing to do with the sermon, but I figured I'd throw it out there. So the next time you go out and get in your car and somebody's trying to make you feel, you know, like, like feel like bad or, or try to shame you when you start your car and you drive down the road and you're not, you know, not riding an electric bicycle that you plugged in overnight to use coal to charge it. But that's a whole nother story. The next time someone tries to shame you, Hey, the earth's going to be just fine. Okay. And so here we get this picture that the new heaven, the new earth, it comes, it's, it's created and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. God creates what Jesus talked about back in John chapter 14, when he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. Now the New King James uses the word mansion. Other versions use rooms and dwellings, which by the way is a better translation is rooms or dwellings. The fact that it's translated in the King James and the New King James as, as mansions is because King James was a king and he didn't want a room. He wanted a mansion. So he, he put mansion in there. But Regardless, that in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now that word may is not like an option. It's not like a might be. It's not like a, hey, I hope, hope everything works out. No, maybe also that uh, the statement, that word as a user literally is, and you will be there too through trusting in Jesus Christ. And so here we get this picture that Jesus has actually done what he promised that he would do back in John chapter 14. That when he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter one, that he actually did what it is that he was supposed to do. He created a place for you and for me. 
And so here we are living on this earth, and we live in a time of death. And we talked about that a few moments ago, back in the book of Genesis. Death entered into the world. Yes, no question, no doubt. It happened. And as death entered into the world, certainly the pain, the sorrow, the suffering that comes through that and from that, all originating from sin. Like that exists. And there are people who who are dying today, and it breaks our hearts. This past, past Friday was my dad's, would have been my dad's 90th birthday. And I can't imagine, I can't even believe that, you know, you go back to the fact that he died in 2007 and here we are 16 coming up on 17 years later, like 17 years later that he passed away. It's like, man, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how can that be possible? He's been gone that long. And man, I miss him every single day. I grieve the fact that my dad's not here. But you know what? When I read this passage, what I get is a picture of, hey, that when my dad took his last breath here, He took his first breath in a place that 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. And I know that even though I miss my dad, my dad's in a better place than I am. Because my dad can go through McDonald's and not gain weight. (laughs) And so Jesus has prepared this incredible place. And here we get this, this verification that God has done exactly what he said that he would do. And so we understand that. So we recognize that even though death stinks and we hate it, we grieve it, we recognize the pain and the suffering. We've seen what's taken place this week in Maui and Hawaii. Like what a tragic story. 93 people have lost their lives thus far. But I love what Adrian Rogers always said. He always said this for the Christian, death is only a comma. It's not a period. It's a pause, not an ending. That what God has in store for us is so much greater. And so the new heaven and the new earth, a new place where we will spend eternity. So what does this new place look like? Let's keep reading. It tells us in verse four, the new place is greater than we could ever imagine. Look what it says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That word passed there is the Greek word of perkomai, which literally gives us the idea it has departed. It's, It's like gone. It doesn't exist. And then he who sat on the throne. Quick quiz. Who's sitting on the throne? God. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. There's that word kainos again. Literally, not like, you know, another version of it or an improved version of it. It's not like you go to the grocery store and said new and improved. And basically it's the same thing you bought last week. They just put a new title on it. Like this is totally different. I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. The promise has been fulfilled. Exactly what I told you. It is here. It is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the foundation of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Now there's an interesting statement there. And he shall be my son. Now, when you read that, honestly, you kind of like breeze by it, mainly because in the first part of that passage in verse four that I read to you a moment ago, it says it's a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more crying, right? You got that, right? You, you heard me read that. Everybody hear me read that? 
Now, let me ask you a question. Would you like to be in a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow? Anybody? Who wants to be there? Just raise your hand if you want to be there. Yeah, yeah of course. Like, like, yes, of course. Like, I want to be there now. I don't want to die, but I love that sounds awesome. That sounds incredible. That's where I want to spend eternity. The place where there's no more pain. And so oftentimes we're reading this passage. We read verse 4 and verse 4 eclipses everything that follows. But don't let it be eclipsed. With this passage that I just read, how it ends, and he shall be my son. Now, quick disclosure, that is not a reference to males. That is a generic term that refers to men and women. It's not just talking about males. It refers to men and women. And what does it say? What does it indicate? First off, who said these words? Did John say them? No, because all through this passage I just read, it says, and he said to me, the one who sat on the throne said... And he, with a loud voice, said. So in other words, God is saying these words. And God said, and they shall be my sons and daughters. Now this is not the Mormon view of of what eternity looks like. I know Mormon theology has the idea that we can all be like little Christs and we're going to be like Jesus and he's like one of us and we're one of him. That's not what we're talking about. But it is talking about the fact that we will be his children for eternity. In fact, I found a quote this week. I can't even remember who said it, but I'm going to read it. Uh, Where is it? Uh, Paige Patterson said this way. Therefore, God is not just present with the human family, but he actually maintains a relationship as of a father to his son. While God has but one ontological son, namely Jesus, the word of God, he has many children by adoption. And the children who by faith have been adopted into the family of God are just as much the heirs and joint heirs as the supernatural son of God. Hence, the relationship is not just one of the benefits enumerated in the previous verses, but also includes the son's inheritance bequeathed by his father. Now, lots of big words because Paige Patterson's really smart. Let me boil it down to like what you and I, how you and I would say it. And here's how you and I would say it. That the fact that he is a, that we're adopted into the family of God means that God's going to treat us the same way that he treats his biological child. Now, I know in this room today, there are lots of people who have adopted children. And I can guarantee you that if I went around and asked you the question, your adopted child, is that like a, your real child? Like, really? Man, you would, that's fighting words, right? I mean, you would smack me upside the head if I tried to say, well, yeah, but your biological's different than your adopted. No, like they're the same Because you wrap your arms around them, you wrap your hearts around them, and they are your children. And what God's word said, and what God himself said, and they will be my children. Man, what an amazing picture. I've got my son sitting on the front row here. I've got my daughter-in-law sitting on the front row here. I've got my son-in-law sitting on the front row. You know what's cool? Is I know this. Like, there's nothing that is going to get me to stop loving them. I don't care what they do. I don't care how they act. I don't care, like, how they mess it. Don't get any ideas. I don't care how they... Like, I'm not giving you permission here, okay? But, but nothing is going to get me to stop loving them. And that even pales in comparison to what God said, and they will be my children. Man, how cool is that? Amazing, a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And we're going to be like his kids, the kids of the king. Like, that's got to be a pretty good job. Like, that's got to be a pretty good experience to be the children of the king. Maybe not so much now the children of a president, but the children of a king. Like, that's a cool thing. Again, that's a freebie. Just don't even quote me on that. Okay, just drop that one, leave it, slide it off, forget I said that. But man, this is an awesome picture that what God gives to us. 
That is what he has promised. That's what this place is really like. Greater than you could ever imagine. Man, how awesome is that? Oh, but wait, we're not done. Now, the one thing we need to understand is this. As awesome as that is, as incredible as all of that is, we have to recognize, and this is important for today, it's important we understand, that it's only for those who believe. Look what it says in verse uh, 8. But the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, let me make clear you understand this. That passage I just read is not a list of the sins that will send you to hell. You understand that, right? Everybody understand it, right? Nod your head. I understand it. That is not the list of sins that will send you to hell. This is nothing more than an, a representation of, a picture of, those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ. The only sin that will send you to hell for all of eternity is rejecting Christ. I want you to hear me. The only sin that will send you to hell for all of eternity is rejecting Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you can go out and commit whatever sin you want as long as you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't mean that at all. Because God himself said, be holy for I am holy. We have a responsibility to live according to the principles that are in God's word. We have a responsibility to live holy, separated, consecrated lives. No question about it. But this is not the exhaustive list of what is going to send people to eternity in a lake of fire. But what we understand is this, is the only people who are going to step foot in this new place that God has created are those who trusted and believed that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and that he rose again. J. Vernon McGee said this. Finally, the lake of fire is eternal, for it is the second death, and there is no third resurrection. It is eternal separation from God, and there is nothing as fearful and frightful as that. I couldn't have said it better. When you go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and it says the wages of sin is death. It's not talking about your heart stopped beating. It's not talking about you run off the car off the road and you end up dying in a car accident. That's not what it's talking about. Like that death is nothing in comparison to the death that's talked about in Romans chapter 6. Because the death in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 is an eternal separation from God. In other words, there are two places that people will spend eternity. Only two. Only two. One is the place that we're talking about today and next week. This place that God created, heaven, which is perfect, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. And the other one is the place that we talked about last week in Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire, eternal torment and hell. Only two places. And the only thing that gets you out of the first one, which we all deserve, is believing and accepting that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and that he rose again. And when you believe that with all of your heart, turn from the sin of rejecting Christ. It's really cool because you're instantly transported from an eternity in hell over into eternity in heaven. And that's what God promises. That's what God has given. That is the hope that we have. So what is this place really like? Let's keep reading. Verse 9. So then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues. Remember a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about the bowls of judgment. Remember that? We talked about that? Remember that? Okay. So now one of those angels who had the bowl, I don't know which one it was. I don't know if it was sleepy or dopey or grumpy. I don't know. I don't know which one it was. 
But one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, came to John, and talked with him, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east and three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. And now the wall of the city had 12 foundations on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now remember, go back to Revelation chapter 4, the throne room. God was surrounded by the 24 elders. And remember we talked about the 24 elders are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And the 12 apostles. And I believe, and some might disagree with me on this, but I believe that the 12 apostles are the original 11 minus Judas, but not Matthias, not the one that, that Peter chose, but rather Paul, the Apostle Paul. I believe Paul will be that 12th apostle there to replace Judas. And so there, they will be the foundation of this city. And verse 15, and he who talked with me laid out a square, its length as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The first, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The first, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And it goes on to say... That the 12, hold on, let me turn the page here. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a nice neighborhood. I mean, you live this list. Like, why did God put all of that into this book? Here's why. Because he wants us to recognize that while our minds are like overwhelmed by the list that I just read... Our minds can't even comprehend how great this place really is that God has created for each and every one of us. Now, there were some things here that I want to point out to make sure we understand. It talks about how that, that he was taken up, John was taken up into the spirit, through the spirit of God, and, and all this was revealed. It talks about how that the glory of God was revealed there. Kendall easily said that the glory of God was magnificently displayed in his throne room, as John had seen in chapter 4. When Moses had set up in the Israelites' tabernacle in the wilderness, it was filled with the visible, shining manifestation of God. And now here, the holy city, Jerusalem, visually declares his presence. And so John's sitting there. He's on a high mountain. It's not Mount Everest because, remember, the old heavens and the old earth are destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth are there, right? So in other words, it's like it's not Mount Everest. It's not the tallest mountain on the earth, but it's on a high mountain. And John is seeing the city coming down. In fact, put the picture up here. This is kind of a weird picture. Oh, it's over here. So, so this is kind of a picture of, of what... Now listen, I want to make sure. This is not exactly what it's going to be like. Because we have no idea what it's going to be like. But the passage says that its length and its height and its breadth are all equal. Remember we read that a moment ago. And so it literally is like a, a perfect cube, a square, coming down out of heaven. 
And this square that's coming down of heaven is all these precious jewels and gold and all of these incredible things that we just read about. All the picture here, the, the gates that are there, three on each side representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundations there you see are the 12 apostles that we talked about, the 24 elders. But when you look at the story, and it talks about how that it's 12,000 furlongs. Let me give you kind of the, you know, the non-King James explanation of what that looks like, how big this thing really is. What it really means is this, is that this city that John saw coming down of heaven, that the new Jerusalem, now this is not the heaven and the earth that God created. God created a new heaven and a new earth, and in the new heaven and the new earth, now the new Jerusalem is descending down. Now this passage tells us it descends down. It doesn't tell us that it landed. And so literally most theologians believe that it's going to be suspended between heaven and earth. That it's going to be there in the middle. And the size of this thing is going to be 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles high. Now let me give you a picture of how big that is. That today, if you went to San Francisco, don't. I can say that my wife's from San Francisco. Don't go there. But if you went to San Francisco today and started walking, if you walk from San Francisco all the way to Houston, Texas, that's 1,400 miles. And that's how wide this city's gonna be. But we're not done. You then would have to turn around and go down to the border in Texas, don't, again, and walk from the border of Texas and Mexico and walk all the way to the border of Canada in, in, uh, in Michigan, and that's 1,400 miles. And then turn it on its end and you'd have to ascend, you'd have to climb 14,000 uh, miles high, 1,400 miles high. So it's 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. And that is this new Jerusalem that is descending and it's going to be hanging in the earth between the earth and the heavens. It's going to be hanging there. And that's where the new Jerusalem will be. That's where God will reside. And so we get this picture here of what it looks like. It says that the wall, the wall here, it says 144 cubits. That is not height. Again, this is, a, I believe, a, a, an incorrect translation in the King James, New King James. I think the NIV has it better uh, because the NIV talks about how it's 144 cubits wide or thick. Like the idea of the wall is thick. Now, to tell you how thick 144 cubits is, a cubit is the measurement between my elbow and the tip of my finger. And so when you look at that, basically you end up at about 245 feet, or I'm sorry, 215 feet thick. That's how thick the walls are. And remember, what are the walls made of? All of those incredible, precious jewels. This is going to be the Beverly Hills times 10 million. I mean, it's going to be like on steroids how incredible this is going to be. And that's what God has prepared for us. It goes on to tell us that this idea of this new Jerusalem that, that comes down, Ed Heinsohn said it far better than I. He said this picture that's painted here in the chapter is that of the new Jerusalem suspended between heaven and earth, it is the final and permanent bond between the two. Notice also that the new earth, not just heaven, is a part of the final state. It would appear that the reformed saints, a redeemed saints, you and me, not reformed, redeemed saints, you and me, of God, travel from heaven to earth by means of the levels of the eternal city. Now, you want me to explain that to you? I can't, I have no clue. I have no idea, I have no idea. There's no way I could explain it to you. I don't have a clue, but I know this, it's gonna be amazing. But here's the most amazing thing of it all. 
which comes to the last part of this passage, verse 22, is that Jesus is at the center of it all. Look what it says in verse 22, but I saw no temple in it. Remember now, temple existed all through the Old Testament period, right? All the way up into the time that Jesus uh, died and rose again, and then 70 years later, the temple was destroyed. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for a sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb, Jesus, is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There will be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The picture we get here is the ultimate return of God's perfect design. We get the fulfillment of Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created it to be perfect. And Satan came in and tempted man to destroy it. But then God fulfills his promise. And for all of eternity, how long is eternity? Long. And it's gonna go on and 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 on. A million years doesn't even do it justice, Troy. A million times, a million times, a million, and it keeps on going. And a place that is perfect and that nothing can defile it. I don't know about you, but this sounds pretty good. And God's plan was delivered through the gift of his son, Jesus. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He allowed himself to be nailed to a tree to pay for the sins of all mankind. And he did that in order to redeem Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. To give us the opportunity of returning to what God had prepared for us. And that's why Jesus, when he was about to go to the cross, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. What he really was saying is, I'm going to fix what you broke. I'm going to to rebuild what you destroyed. And where I am, you may be also. And I tell you this entire story here, not my story, his. We read this passage here for one reason and one reason alone. Because God wanted us to hear what eternity looks like so that we would not want anything but eternity with him. And so as you're seated here today, as you're watching, as you're listening, gotta be honest, I don't know where you are in your heart I don't know if you have come to the place where you have trusted and believed that Jesus is the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, to rebuild what we broke. I don't know if you've believed that or not. Only you and God know that. I know that there will probably be a lot of people, and I know this to be true because Jesus said it, a lot of people who will come and say, Lord, Lord, and God will say, I don't know who you are. I know there are a lot of people like that. I don't know who they are, and I'm glad I don't. But there will be a lot of people like that, and I pray that it won't be you. And so today, as we do every week, we're gonna end this service 
with a picture, with a promise, and now with an invitation that if you've never come to that place where you have trusted in Christ, this is the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for the promise of eternity. Thank you that Jesus came to give us the opportunity and the keys to enter into that place that's prepared for us. And God, I pray right now, any person in this room watching or listening who has never come to that place and trusted in you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray right now, right here, in this moment, God, help them to say, I believe. Forgive me of my sins. And save me today through your son, Jesus. I believe he died and I believe he rose again for me. So God, save me today. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed as our team is gathering here at the front, we do this every week and we will do it every week until there's no point doing it ever again and that will be when we get to the place we talked about today. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and maybe that prayer that you just prayed with me, you heard me pray, maybe you, you meant that from your heart to God's. In a moment, I'm just gonna invite you just to come down and talk with one of these team members here. Let them just share with you like how awesome, amazing, incredible that is. Maybe you want to come and kneel here to say, you know, I, I, I believe that, but man, my life hasn't been like representing that. Like I trusted Christ, but man, I'm not really living the way I'm supposed to live. Like that whole be holy for I am holy thing. Yeah, I missed the boat on that one. And maybe you want to come and just kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry for acting the way that I've acted. Maybe today you want to come and pray for a loved one or family member or friend. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. We'd love to have you. Maybe you want to come for baptism and celebrate like those we had the opportunity of celebrating with a few moments ago. I don't know what God might be drawing you to this altar regarding, but I do know this, if God is drawing you, don't ignore it. Don't, don't, don't ignore what God is saying. God, I pray right now for the people in this room, hurting people, broken people, yes, lost people. And God, for those who are, I pray, that they will have prayed that prayer a moment ago, that they'll make the move to, to solidify that decision, to make sure, 100% sure, 1,000% sure, that this eternity we've talked about is a promise for them because of the decision they've made today. God, I pray that you would draw them to you today. And God will give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, the altar is open. Our team is here. We're going to dismiss. But if you're here today and you want to meet Christ, if you're here today and you want to get things right, the altar's open. Don't walk out until you've walked in. God bless you. We'll see you back next Sunday. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. 
Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.